Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. Well, I identify with being a parent of a graduate this morning. Uh, after a uh, high school degree and then five years of an undergrad, two different undergraduate degrees, and then four years of medical school, last Friday, our son Caleb was conferred his doctorate of medicine um, at Victoria Theater, and we're so proud of him. He leaves tomorrow morning, early tomorrow morning, where he's gonna be doing a three-year residency in Los Angeles, uh, and uh, we will not be seeing him a whole lot. So mom and I are grieving a little right now and struggling a little bit uh, after having him around and in our home for so long. But uh, we just congratulate him. We congratulate all of our graduates here. Thank you so much, as Josh has already said, for the hard work that you have placed Uh, into your students. I love it at graduations when the person who is speaking says, hey, you need to hug mom and dad for all that they've done for you. That's a proud moment, right? Because we feel like we do invest a lot, and I don't know about you, but parents don't often get thanks. We thank our parents that are here and congratulate all our parents. Well, this morning we come to our final week of our series, Breathe, and I want to begin with a question. Have you ever been promised something that you really, really wanted? Perhaps it was a job promotion, or a new car, or a vacation, or some special gift. Do you recall what the anticipation of waiting felt like? It's brutal, isn't it? But the reality is sometimes that waiting can actually be as good as the gift itself. Sometimes it can even be better, the anticipation. And I think that was the case with the early disciples, the followers of Jesus. Because following his resurrection, he reaffirmed a promise that he had made to them time and time again, one that was filled with anticipation. Here was the promise in Acts chapter 1, Verses 4 through 5. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus does several very notable things here. First of all, Jesus reassures them that he is truly alive. They had watched him be betrayed. They had experienced his brutal execution and his burial. And so Jesus doesn't just bounce in and bounce out. Rather, what he does is he takes time to come and visit with them and actually break bread with them. That may not seem like a lot to us, But in the first century, in a Middle Eastern culture, eating a meal with someone, breaking bread with someone, was actually a sign of a deep friendship and significant trust. What Jesus was saying here is this. You can trust me. I can be trusted because I've been with you, but now I'm going to be in you. And that's the second thing he does here is he actually reminds them of the parting gift they had heard him promise time and again. 
It's a gift that he had talked about a lot during his three plus years of earthly ministry with them. It's also a gift that the prophet Joel hundreds of years earlier had prophesied and we read about it in the Old Testament in a book bearing his name. Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. This is how I know that I'm getting old. Your old men will dream dreams. I've been dreaming a lot of dreams lately. They're much more vivid than they used to be. And the odd thing is my wife says I'm also talking a lot more in my sleep these days. I don't know what that's all about, but she says I, I wake her up sometimes talking in my sleep and I say the same two words over and over again. Oh boy. I don't know what that means. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I know that there's something in my dream that's making me say, oh boy. Jesus reminds them. He reassures them that he's with them. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus actually rehearses for them what they're now to do. He tells them they're to wait and they're to anticipate. To wait and anticipate. We don't wait well, do we, in our generation? There is a reason that Amazon Prime has exploded. Because when somebody orders something, we don't like to wait. What we do is we want immediate results. We want immediate delivery. But there's an old adage that many of you here will know. And that old adage is this. Good things come to those who... That inspires today's big idea. Because not only do good things come to those who wait, but God's gifts come to those who are willing to wait and anticipate. The truth is this. We live in an age and a generation of instant gratification, don't we? People are no longer willing to wait for marriage for the good gift of sex. Many people are no longer willing to wait to make a purchase until they have saved enough money to do it. What we would rather do is we'd rather opt to buy now and pay later. The reason that we do that is because we think that we have a certain amount of credit. We live on artificial equity that doesn't exist. And listen, I am not opposed to credit cards and equity. I've used them. But the reality is this. They can make it really tough to be a person who actually waits and delays gratification. If we're not careful, they can become a God of greed that can get us into a place where we become indebted to the God of interest because we're actually needing this instant gratification. Well, when it comes to God's gifts, when it comes particularly to the gift of God's spirit that he says, I want to give to you, the Bible makes it really clear that it is given to those willing to wait, willing to anticipate. And so the Bible says that these disjointed disciples take Jesus at his word, and they do just that. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. 
When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, as we turn the page into the next chapter of Acts, we also turn the page on church history. Because what happens next ushers in a tremendous era of a new relationship that God is going to have with those who will come to him. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, the Bible here tells us the occasion for this event. The occasion was that it was on the day called Pentecost. Now, what you may not realize is that today is Pentecost. How many of you woke up first thing this morning and the first thing that came to your mind was, hey, today is Pentecost? Of course not. Why? Because we're not Jewish people. We don't practice the Jewish festivals. But regardless of that, what we must do is recognize something. A day that has become a day just like any other on our calendar is not an ordinary day. And it certainly wasn't in the first century in this particular Pentecost. Because this particular day was significant for this reason. Pentecost was the day that the church of Jesus Christ was born. Did you know that? Today is a celebration of sorts. Happy birthday to you. Because God did not have in mind a building when he talked about the church. God had in mind people that were sitting here just like we are today in the 21st century. And today we celebrate the birthday of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are several really important things that happen here in this narrative, in this upper room as they're gathered together. The first is this, the package that Jesus had promised was finally delivered. And no Amazon Prime was needed. The Holy Spirit is poured out on men and women who are willing to wait on God for the coming of the Spirit of Jesus upon them. This group of fledgling, scared disciples who actually were hiding from the Jews, from religious leaders, are now empowered and emboldened to do something remarkable. The Bible tells us that the, the second thing I want you to see here is that everyone got in on the action. No one was left behind. The Bible says everyone present was filled with God's Spirit. And here's why that's important. There have been people through the years that have suggested that the Holy Spirit is given to some people, but the Holy Spirit is not given to others. 
That there are some people that are fortunate enough to have the Holy Spirit, and those other poor Christians are just less fortunate. They obviously didn't pray enough. They obviously did not have enough faith. The moment we talk about the Holy Spirit like that, we are placing the Holy Spirit into the realm of works. And that is inconsistent with the Holy Spirit. You do not earn the gift of God's Spirit any more than you earn your salvation. The Bible says there is nothing that we can do to gain this gift. And here's the reality. God has no favorites. There are no favorite sons and favorite daughters. When it comes to God and God's gifts, there are not the haves and the have-nots. The same goodness of God that is available to me is available to each one of you. The reality is that's just the way God operates. There is not a favoritism. There is no respecter of persons. And the third thing that's pretty notable, and I'm going to share with you why, is that they are given, a, in this moment, a supernatural ability. The ability to speak in a language that they have not ever heard. They have not ever learned it. Now, this is both a miracle and it's a mystery. But make no mistake about it when you read the narrative. It was missional. There was an intended purpose for what was happening in this moment. And let's read the narrative beginning at verse number 5 to see what it is. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, that would be the wind that blew into that room. Everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in, in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. Now here's what's so remarkable about what's taking place here. These people had been displaced and separated and categorized based on languages. And languages have a way of doing that, don't they? When we gather in a circle of people and we hear people speaking a language we understand, what do we do? We gravitate. Those are our people. Those who we want to be with. And what's happening here on this day is all of these people that had been separated and segmented and had been, and had been made distant are now coming together and they're hearing a message being given in a native language without the aid of a translator. What is happening is there's a moment of redemption. There's a significant moment of restoration. What God here is doing is he's bringing something back together that had occurred and been separated all the way back at the beginning of time. Let's read about it in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 and 7 through 9. At the time, all the people of the world spoke the same language. 
And they use the same words. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they will be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babylon. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. What's happening in Babel is God is saying, okay, the people are centralized. And what I need to do is I need to get them moving so that I can populate the world. And he begins to scatter people by dividing their languages. On the day of Pentecost, what God does is God actually reverses that. He comes and he brings all of these people, speaking all these different languages, back together as one people under the banner and the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the church not only is born, but the church now is getting traction to move into different areas of the world. Acts chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Let me hit the pause button here. Have you ever seen and listened to a drunk person? I have. They don't speak the English language very well. So certainly, someone drunk is not going to speak a foreign language they've never learned simply because of drinking. So Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd. Listen carefully. All of you fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So in that moment, there is a coming together in a remarkable way. And people all of a sudden are empowered and emboldened by God's Spirit. And the Bible tells us the rest of the story in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 41. Then Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you. It's to your children. And it's to those who are far away. That's us. All of you have been called by our, the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. That's my excuse, by the way. Strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ on the opening day of the church. Not bad for a grand opening. And that growth has just continued and continued and continued. And today, Christians number 2.3 billion people of the world's population, over a third of the world's population, have surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church was born, though, on this day. This is the day and the moment 
when that gift that God had promised was given to all the believers and all of them were transformed and empowered. And with that gift comes all the gifts that God wants to give that we've been talking about in this series, Breathe. And so as we wrap up this series this morning, I want to wrap this series up by returning to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where Paul teaches us the principles of how we best steward the gifts of God's Spirit that are given, the ministry gifts, the manifestation gifts, the motivational gifts. How do we steward those for God's kingdom? And there are three timeless principles that I want to give you this morning that I think are significant. The first by way of review is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Here's the first timeless principle. Spiritual gifts are of some value, but love is of eternal value. Love, according to Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians end of 12, 13 into 14 is building a case and tying it all together and saying this, unless it is fired and fueled by love, gifts are useless. They must be motivated out of a deep abiding love for God and a deep love for God's church. Now, a few years ago, I went to a pioneer village where you got to see 18th century American what life would have been like. And at that Pioneer Village, there was different shops that you could stop and visit. And one particular shop had a crude label on it. It just simply said, on tin, I believe, blacksmith. And I'll never forget walking into the blacksmith shop. And watching that blacksmith grab his tongs and take a cold, lifeless piece of steel from off of his counter. And he took it over to a fire that was burning red hot. And he thrust that piece of metal in there until that particular steel took on the very nature of that fire. And once it took on the nature of that fire, he took it out with his tongs, he threw it on the anvil, and he took his hammer, and he went to work on fashioning something of value that could be used. Listen, spiritual gifts are a lot like that. Until they are fired by love, until they are burning red hot with love, they actually don't have the kind of value that God would want them to have. The second principle we find in verses 2 through 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Everyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. And what's so cool about this text is that this word edifies appears three times in three verses. It appears a total of four times more in this chapter. And it's an interesting word. Because the word edify literally comes from first century architecture. It means to build up or to construct. How many of you were around last Wednesday night for the tornadoes? Can I see your hands? I was coming up from an elder meeting out of the basement about 8.25 when the wife of the home that we were at came over to the top of the basement and said, get back down there. There is a tornado warning. 
And we turned on the television and we watched the report as a tornado had touched down and was moving northward in the direct line of my home. I called my wife. She was there with our kids and grandkids and said, you know, are you in the basement? She said, yeah, I got the word. She was down in the basement. And a few, you know, moments later, obviously, it moved on and we had different storms through the night. But what was the first thing I did when I, I got home? Well, I checked on my family to make sure they were okay. The second thing I did was I checked the house. Because we always want to know how well is our house constructed? How well will it weather the storms? Paul here is saying this. Paul is saying, I want you to build up with any gift that God has given to you. Use it to build up. And here's the reason he says that. Because spiritual gifts can make us spiritually proud. Spiritual gifts can serve to stroke our ego. And so here's what Paul says. Paul says spiritual gifts are not about you building up your ego. They are about building up others. And that's the second principle Paul gives us. And here's the third. And and I think the final timeless principle I want to give you at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 37 through 40. If anyone considers himself a prophet or a spiritual person, you should acknowledge that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If someone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So then, brothers and sisters, be here to prophesy, but do not forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. And do everything in a decent and an orderly way. The problem with the Christian community in Corinth is the same problem that exists in many Christian communities today. They were using the spiritual gifts in an indecent and disorderly way. Here are two words Paul would use today that would make more sense to us. They were actually using them in a way that was inconsiderate of others and was disrespectful. And so Paul writes very clearly and he lays down a third principle. And it's this. Spiritual gifts, regardless of what they are, must be exercised in a responsible manner. They must be exercised in a responsible manner. And so what does that look like? Well, I think we can tell. Because listen, we can always tell the spirit that is behind a spiritual gift. Did you know that? There are dead giveaways for when someone is operating in the flesh and not operating in the spirit. One of those dead giveaways is that a person will assert themselves without the blessing of spiritual leadership. I see this happen from time to time. People will come into a new body And the very first week they were there, they will pull out a tambourine, they will grab a banner, they'll jump up and down, they'll start talking. Now listen, that is both pious and presumptuous. It's pompous and presumptuous. There is something, there's nothing wrong with any of those things in their culture. But that's not this culture. And what we must understand is this, to actually assert oneself without coming humbly and saying, I want to be yielded 
to the leadership of this church is not healthy. And that's the second sure sign when something is coming out of the flesh and not out of God's spirit, is how a person will respond when and if you speak with them. I've often heard people make statements like, well, this is just the gift God's given me. This is just something I have to do. I, I, have, to be dis- I have to be obedient to this or I'll be disobedient to God. Well, that's not consistent with what Scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 32 through 33. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not characterized by disorder, but by peace. Can I tell you one of the, the most distinguishing characteristic of a gift that is operating by God's Spirit is it will produce peace. That is the most significant characteristic that God is behind it. If, if it is a gift from God, and if it is a gift for that person, then individuals will actually do it in a way that brings harmony and order, not disharmony, and produce disunity. Which brings us to one final sure proof giveaway. When it comes to spiritual gifts, as always, marks the spot. As always marks the spot. The cross will always stand in focus and will always be front and center if it is of the Holy Spirit. It will always draw attention to the person of Jesus Christ and not the person who God is using. The message, not the messenger. We'll get all the credit. We'll get all the praise and we'll get all the glory. So here's what I want to give you as we close by way of final encouragement and application. If you feel at some point that you have a word from the Lord, if you feel that you have an encouragement, if you feel that you have an exhortation, I want to ask you to do three things. Number one, I want to encourage you to slow down, to wait and listen. I think that discipline of slowing down and waiting on God is critical. Listen, God is never in a hurry. If God were in a hurry, Jesus would not have taken nine months to be born. To hurry God is to find fault with God. God does not need us to hurry. God needs us to wait on Him. God needs us to hear from Him. The first thing I'd encourage you to do is slow down. Second thing I'd encourage you to do is write it down. Because that discipline of writing it down is the best way to flesh out what God is saying and what God is trying to speak. And the third thing I would do is I would exhort you to submit it. Submit it first to God and then submit it to the spiritual leadership. And I think that's important for this reason. When you submit something, you are actually relinquishing your rights of ownership to it. When we submit something, we are taking our hands off it and we are saying, God... I give you control, and the outcome of this is up to you, not up to me. There is no personal connection to say, I have got to have my way with this. 
This submission is all about bringing glory and honor to the person of Jesus, and it's bringing honor to his church. Now let me give you a closing illustration. Our leadership right now at Grace Crossing Church are praying into a very important decision. And I said to our leadership several weeks ago, I said, I want you to spend the next few weeks praying and waiting on God and listening. And what I'd like us to pray together is I want us to pray the prayer of indifference. Which means that we are indifferent to anything except the will of God. That's all that we want. We want nothing more than God's will to be done. And what this practice of doing this is, at least helping me to learn more, is the power of how God reveals his will to us as a body of believers. How God speaks to us as a body of believers. For some people in our leadership, this process might be for nothing other than actually laying down and surrendering their personal preferences and their personal agenda. Saying, I'm not worried about my agenda. I'm worried more about God's agenda. That's what we want, God's agenda. For others, though, as we've heard from some, it is God giving a word. And it may just be a word. And like a puzzle, the spiritual messaging of God is coming together as God's people are all contributing their part and their peace of the Lord. And at the end of the day, we are believing that God will give us very clear direction that is not going to be autocratic, but is going to be from the Lord, from His Spirit, where God has spoken to us as leaders that have come together and said, we don't want anything other than God's will. We, we pray the prayer of indifference. All we want to be married to in the outcome of this is what God desires. And I think that submission to God is what the Lord would ask of us, for any of us, to take those things that he has given to us and to submit them to him and say, God, I hold these before you. These are your gifts. The Holy Spirit is your gift to me. And I want to do the best I can to live and breathe and move in you in a way that brings honor to you and builds up and doesn't tear down. Would you pray with me this morning as we close our time? If you're in our auditorium this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, that is the open door. That is the moment of invitation. That is the moment the Holy Spirit comes and transforms you by placing the Spirit of Jesus within you. This morning, I want to pray as I close for anybody in this auditorium who wants to invite God's gift of His Spirit into their lives. And you desire to be a follower of Christ. You desire to be filled with God and not full of you. And your heart today is, God, I want, I want you. If you're here this morning and that's you, we want to pray for you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would you slip up your hand real quickly and you can put it back down. Yes, sir, several. Other others would say, that's me this morning. Remember me in prayer as well as you pray. Jesus, I thank you 
for your love, and I thank you for your incredible grace. I thank you that you saw our potential, what we could be, long before we had ever even thought about you. And when you said that this gift is for those who are there, it's for their children and grandchildren, those who are far off and far away, that was us. And we've been recipients of people who have stewarded the gifts of God, who have stewarded the grace of God, who have stewarded the Holy Spirit, and have been a great ambassador for Christ. And because of that, we're here today. And so my prayer is that you'd fill every one of our lives. We need to be filled with you daily, God. Because the reality is we leave. And life just has a way of putting holes in our faith sometimes. And holes in our resolve. And we need to be refilled up every single day with your spirit. So today we surrender to you. We invite you to be the Lord of our lives. We invite you to be the leader of our future. Pray that you would guide and direct us. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for your presence. In Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.